When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Hey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Martha Shedden, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Robert Powell to the podcast. Bob is a CFP and longtime award-winning financial journalist whose work appears regularly in thestreet.com, USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Market Watch, and AARP. He is the editor and publisher of The Streets Retirement Daily, and over the years has served as an editor-in-chief, podcast host, co-founder, curriculum director, author, speaker, and content strategist. Bob, I'm so happy to be talking with you today. Martha, I'm happy to chat with you too, and thanks for the lovely introduction. (laughs) Uh, You have watched the social security and retirement landscape for a long time. What developments are currently happening that you would like people to be most aware of? Yeah. So I think the the thing, uh, the elephant in the room is the possibility of the trust fund, uh, right, becoming, I don't want to say bankrupt, but right, (laughs) the trust fund uh, becoming exhausted and the possibility of less income coming in than going, than expense, than payment benefits going out. And uh, everyone says, oh, Congress will do something. They'll wait to the last minute, but something will be done. On the other hand, uh, if nothing's done, the possibility exists that people will get what, 80 cents on the dollar of their benefit, give or take a few cents here or there. Yeah. And, uh, and I really think that people should do two things. One is take seriously that possibility and start planning accordingly, right? Then to say, well, best case, it's still 100 cents on the dollar of my benefit. Um, worst case, it's, um, it's 80 cents on the dollar. And how does that affect my financial plan? Mm-hmm. Um, now, we can all go through lots of machinations to say, oh, if they do anything, if they do reduce benefits, it won't maybe affect the people who are presently retired or about to retire. They'll do what they did last time in terms of raising the, the full retirement age. They'll do it gradually over years to come. And so maybe the people who will be most affected by this, if nothing is done, will be um, my sons and daughters who are in their 20s <laughs> instead of me and, and perhaps you, right, as we yeah, think about what exactly. our benefits would exactly. be. But what would happen if it was across the board and it, and this 80%, you know, this 80 cents on the dollar haircut affected everyone. So I just think yeah. that we all need to plan for the uh, however remote possibility of a benefit cut. 
That's the uh, really good conservative way to approach retirement because then you're not going to be surprised if it does happen. Right. Um, right. And I, and I also think, Martha, I mean, the, the other thing we, when we think about Social Security, sometimes we talk about averages. But what I also think is important to think about Social Security is how is it how important it is to lower income Americans versus, say, higher income Americans, where for lower income, Social Security represents maybe 90 percent of their retirement income. Big part, yes. Right, and for higher income, maybe it's ten or fifteen or twenty percent, and much less. You know, it's a much less problematic if we have a benefit cut for higher income folks. Right. Um, and I think you know we have to think about well, it, it, does a benefit cut really harm the people who need it most? That's right. That's right. Um, you wrote in a Market Watch article in in March that saving for retirement is easy enough, spending it is more complicated. And you quoted Nobel laureate William Sharp. And I've shamelessly stolen this from you um, because it's he quotes uh, decumulation or the use of savings in retirement is the nastiest, hardest problem in finance. And man, that's true. Can you describe to our listeners why that's so different than the accumulation phase and what's what's involved in that? Yeah. So, I mean, accumulation is easy, right? You say, I need to accumulate a million dollars by the time I retire at 65, and I need to save this much and earn this much on my money. And along the way, I can make some adjustments. Maybe I start saving more, or maybe I delay my retirement. Um, But once you get to retirement, you've got to figure out, okay, what's my planning horizon? How long will I live? Is it 10 years? Is it 30 years? Is it 35 years? And it matters how many years you'll live in retirement because your money has to last that long in order for you to fund your desired standard of living, right? And so what's interesting about that problem is, I I joke, I tell people, if you could tell me your date of death, I could build you a, right? I could build you a bulletproof retirement plan. Mm-hmm. But since we don't know your date of death, we've got to factor in all these possibilities, right? We've got to factor in uh, what you're spending, what the rate of inflation will be on your expenses, um, how your expenses will change as you go through retirement, through your, right, the go-go years, the slow-go years, and the no-go years. Wow. And what we know is, so, and what the financial planning community will tell people is, oh, you should expect to retire on 80% of your pre-retirement income. And that on an inflation adjusted basis, right, then, you know, by the time you get from age 65 to 95, uh, you know, maybe the $100,000 that you retired on at age 65, well, now you'll need maybe, I don't know, 130000 in order to support your desired standard of living when you're 95 years old. But the truth of the matter is, it's not a straight line for retirees. They, what they tend to do is to decrease their spending as they go through retirement, even on an inflation adjusted basis. So what's happening, I think, in terms of like how hard it is, is people don't know how much they can actually spend, right? Because they don't know how long their money has to last. So what happens is, and what what many of the academics will say is, well, what we know is true is that people are, are underspending in their early years because they fear that they may need that money in their later years to fund healthcare expenses. And that's so true. I, just as you're saying that, and it's so sad because then that is the go-go years. That is when we should be able to go out and enjoy it. And, and to have that security that you know your health care costs and long-term care is covered, that's the hardest thing. Yeah. So I would add to that, right? I mean, one of the things that when I think about retirement, different from the accumulation, saving for retirement, is this notion of all the risks that you'll face in retirement and how important it is to understand, right? The, the society of actuaries 
has, I think, 15 risks that you'll face in retirement. And it ranges from longevity to inflation to healthcare shocks, to divorce, to death of a spouse, to market volatility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you were to go about this prudently, you would say, um, I do face this risk. I have exposure to this risk. The probability of it happening is high and the consequences would be negative if it happened to me. And this is how I plan to manage or mitigate that expense. And for me, that takes a lot of the worry out of um, retirement planning, which is to say, um, if, if I'm worried about healthcare expenses, but I haven't taken the time to manage or mitigate the risk of those expenses, well, yeah, of course you're going to be worried and not spend when you should right. be spending. But if you right. say, oh, I bought a long-term care insurance policy, so right, that gives me the freedom to now spend my money early in retirement, like you said. And well, it's interesting, the RAND Corporation just did some research and they were explaining the reasons why people stop spending as they go through retirement. One of them, obviously, is the fact that you're just, you know, you're scaling back on your on your whatever your travel and, and whatnot. And part of it is they describe it as utility, the satisfaction you get from spending money. And one of the reasons people stop spending money later in life is that they say, well, I've already done that. I've already taken an around the world cruise or I've already right or I've already visited the Grand Canyon. I don't need to do it again. So the money that they spent early in retirement, you know, it just starts declining. And it's just yet one more reason why people should spend more in the early part of the years presuming that they've managed the retirement risk that they worry about, right? So the That's two big ones being, well, three big ones, but fear of outliving your money, right? Longevity. Longevity, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, inflation, we need to make sure that our money is at least keeping pace with the, you know, you don't want to have low, lose purchasing power. Right. And, and I think that healthcare shock is a big one because people, um, and what's interesting, studies from Tiro Price, Vanguard, others have shown that the, the, the likelihood of having a very severe, expensive healthcare shock late in life is, is quite low for the vast majority of Americans. You just don't know if you're going to be in that tiny percent of people who face it, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. why not get rid of that risk, right? Get rid of the, the long tail risk by using what people say, right? When you have a long tail risk, you insure it. You had use pooled money to get rid of that risk. Meaning insurance? Well, insurance, it could be long-term care insurance. It could be a deferred income annuity. It could be a QLAC, right? All these instruments that allow you to diversify the risk because right. you know, you're sharing it with others. Yep. You know, instead, of, a, instead of retaining that risk, right? Well I mean, said. the super wealthy probably can retain the risk of a healthcare shock, right? They have right. A, enough risk capacity in their, in their portfolios. But the vast majority of Americans need to figure out how do I get rid of this risk? Yes. Well, you, I think you already answered my next question, but the, <laughs> the average retiree's biggest fear, and I, I've heard, you know, it is losing that standard of living. Do you agree yeah, with that? I, yeah. And I think what's important about that is, so a lot of times when people go to retire, they don't necessarily know what they're going to do and how they spend their time. Uh -huh. Right. So, and oftentimes people, someone might retire and do something for a little bit and then go back to work because they couldn't figure out what to do in retirement. I have, I have a one close friend who's probably retired three or four times. <laughs> and in large part, because he doesn't know what, you know, what, what he's going to do in retirement. I think he's figured it out on the fourth try. Uh, but I, I think this notion is, uh, is important that before you, uh, instead of retiring from something that you retired to something. Yes. And that you really have a handle on your expenses and your time. I have a dear friend um, 
Farrell Dolan, when he retired he's from Fidelity many years ago, he said, when I retired, I had four buckets in mind, grandkids, gardening, travel, and volunteer work. Oh, see, that is so valuable. You right? hear these stories of people who don't know what to do with themselves because they truly are not planning yep. for yep. that. So he, he, he knew exactly what he wanted to do in retirement. And, uh, and the one problem that he faced along the way was volunteer work started like taking over the rest of his other um, buckets oh. because, because he, he learned that he didn't know how to say no when people asked him to volunteer for this board or this activity or this project. That's um, a good problem to have, though, in retirement. Oh, it was a great problem because, you know, you know most people aren't going to play golf five days a week. It would be, you no. know, it would be uh, unfulfilling, certainly for me. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't see ever really completely quit working myself, but who knows? I have so many other interests, but you do hear of people who's, you know, their whole life is tied up with their career and it's such a jolt, I think, especially if they just retire and don't phase out at all. Yeah. So I think that would be important for people to really take the time to think about what they plan to do. Um, There's a number of retirement counselors and coaches out there who can help you if you're having trouble. Uh, there's uh, a large number of resources. You don't have to think that there's yeah. no help out there. That's such a good point. It's not just the financial aspect at all. And um, coaches are so valuable for something like that to help just that objective view to get you thinking about what, what you really love to do. And so you just answered my next question. Oh, no. <laughs> because what they don't understand until it's too late. Um, anything else? I mean, pre-retirees, what are they not asking or what are the tried and true pieces of advice that you find yourself giving to people year after year? Yeah. So I, I think for me, one of the one of the most important questions is uh, not besides understanding what your expenses will be. Right, really getting a handle on it, like almost year by year by year throughout retirement, not using a heuristic like eighty percent. Right, is is to think about what your sources of income will be, and when I think about what your sources of income will be, again, I'll refer back to Farrell Dolan and others, where the notion is what you might want to do is think about your essential expenses, whatever they might be, housing, transportation, etc and matching guaranteed sources of income against those expenses so that you know at a bare minimum you've got those expenses covered from these right. sources of money that that we, you'll never outlive and that could be a pension could be an income annuity it's obviously social security yeah, yeah. right the biggest and, uh, annuity there is <laughs> right the best annuity there is it's uh, inflation adjusted and uh, and it, you'll never run out of your social security paycheck and then if there's a gap between your expenses and your income, you may have to look at your 401k or IRA and say, well, how do I fill the gap with that money? Do I buy another income annuity? Do I use a systematic withdrawal plan? Do I use a, a bond ladder or do I use an income annuity ladder? Do I use bullet shares? Right? How do I make sure that there's money, that there's an asset covering a liability? So you know, yeah. professionals refer to it as asset liability matching. And I think that's really important that you that you have these assets that you know will cover, for lack of a better term, your floor of expenses, right? right. And then after that, once your floor is covered, well, the rest of the money could be uh, we sometimes refer to as upside, right? Money that could be used it's, to cover discretionary expenses. It's discretionary, yes, and right. That, that's a wonderful bucket. 
Yeah, it's a great, yeah. So Farrell Dolan used to call it the four box strategy. Um, others refer to it as asset liability matching. Sometimes people refer to it as bucketing. Um, whatever you do, I think you need to have a plan, not just, you know, not just have a really good understanding of what your expenses will be, but how your sources of income match up. Now, and in many cases, it's interesting, um, earned income does play a role for many retirees, whether it's from part-time work or full-time work or consulting. And oftentimes people will say, well, uh, I need the income because I need it to fund my des- right, desired standard of living. Other times people say, I don't need the money, but I, I need the, the interaction with people, right? And I just need to stay busy. Um, I don't need the income for living. I just, I just need that. But it, it can be a very important component, which then can do a couple things with it, is relieve the burden on your portfolio, right? So one of the things, if you're worried about running out of money, well, anytime you don't have to draw down money from your portfolio is great. So you have that earned income that, that can fill that gap. The other is, I would say, really important. As we think about new products and new research and new laws, you know, several years ago, back, I don't know, 2005, no one ever thought about like using a reverse mortgage to fund retirement, right? And I try to get clients to educate themselves on that because why not right. at least know what's, out, what's available? Right. And it's true. In 2005, I would talk to financial planners and they would say, oh, reverse mortgages. Yeah. Those are only for people who you know, are destitute. Right. They didn't save yeah. enough, blah, blah, blah. Over time, research was done to say, you know, this is an interesting financial instrument that if you were to take out a, uh, a HECM with a line of credit at age 62 and then you would use it like maybe if the stock market was down so you didn't have to pull assets from your portfolio. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that you would preserve that portfolio and it would like you know, you don't want to pull money from a declining asset, but you have this wonderful asset over here that you can take money from that is tax-free, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think people need to be very conscious of the fact that that they're, on any given day, there's, there's a new product or a new law or new research that says, here's some tools that you could use to make your retirement outcome even better. I just wrote a story, Martha, about something called the contingent deferred annuities, right? Contingent and, deferred. Yeah, sometimes referred to as a CDA. So what it is, is it's insurance for your portfolio. So, you know, one example is, oh, uh, if you were to buy a put on your portfolio, a long-term put, for instance, people sometimes refer to the buying puts as insurance against market declines. So think of it in, in that regard. You're buying insurance so that if the market declines and you're not able to pull out the money from your portfolio that you thought you were supposed to or could, the insurance would kick in not immediately, but later in life at the point at which your portfolio was exhausted. So it's a, it's a way to protect yourself against both sequence of return risk and longevity risk. Very few people know about it. Um, very few financial advisors use it. Um, but it's yet one more tool in the toolbox that someone could say, well, let me think about using this. What are the pros and cons of it? What's the cost of it? What's the benefit? And and in some cases, it may make sense, right? I, I'm of the opinion that it's, none of these products are bad, right? They're all like, you know, a hammer isn't it, bad, a screwdriver isn't bad. It just has to be used in the right way. If you use it right, exactly, right. exactly. So, you know, it may be appropriate for some people, you know, and certainly it's appropriate to not dismiss it out of hand because the word annuity is in it, right? Well, in the that, that's exactly what I was just thinking because annuities are like a oh, it's a, it's a trigger word. It is, and people just <laughs> automatically say it's bad. And, right. and um, we have to get over that. Educate, just learning about these is all that it takes. Right. It's just, 
you know, knowing that you should look into those. And it's hard work. I mean, right. I mean, like, you know, years ago, the Roth didn't exist. And, you know, and, and the notion of a Roth IRA conversion, you know, is still kind of, you know, somewhat new to some people. And when would you do it? And, and uh, how would you do it? Right. And should you do a partial or a full Roth conversion? Right. And it is complex, right? There's no doubt about it. <laughs> it's very complex. And I'm so grateful for financial advisors that are tackling this complete whole nasty financial puzzle for their clients because um, it, and it can't be done without, without technology to unravel the, you know, when you should take what out and what you should use first. Yeah. Um, And, you know, lawmakers aren't making it any easier. We we now have these new RMD rules and uh, uh, for, you know, beneficiaries of uh, inherited IRAs and it's complex. You couldn't do this on your own and you really do need to find someone who has the competence and the background and the education and the experience to help you sort through some of this stuff. Yeah, as you said, as the laws change. Yeah. Um, And the same is true with social security, right? A lot of times there's so much to learn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's always nice to find an expert on something and and speaking of those social security bob what are the you wrote about busting the five social security myths can you give us a breakdown on this and how you suggest they be addressed oh my goodness you're gonna make was, me test my memory <laughs> oh was that a while ago i'm sorry no 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 that's okay remind me about myth one <laughs> I don't, I don't actually have the myths oh. in front of me. But, All right. Uh, I will pull it up while we're chatting. But uh, one of the things that I think I will uh, mention is it's not a myth, but it was on my mind when, when I thought about us talking is this notion of how sometimes the first time anyone ever looks at their my social security statement is like the day before they're going to retire. And, <laughs> right? and, I, and I think, you know, people ought to sort of like from early on start getting familiar with that statement and understanding how your benefit is calculated, the importance of having, you know, high earnings over the course of, you know, yeah. right, having 35 years of earnings, you know. And I think that the new, you know, if you don't have a my social security account now, the administration is sending out the, the statements to those folks. Which I think is wonderful because it hasn't been on their radar, the younger workers. And that's that's going to help. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing um, that would be helpful is, is for folks to start really thinking about when they are claiming, especially for household couples, spouses, is to really think about the surviving spouse. And I once wrote a column that said, you know, if you truly this was aimed at husbands. If you truly love your spouse, you would do X, Y, and Z. One of those things being delay social security so that your surviving spouse would at least perhaps enjoy a higher benefit, assuming that the male was the higher earner and the, and the woman was the lower earner. And, um, you know, at the time, what was interesting about that was the comments I got were like, well, why would I want to do that? Right. You know, like people were like, oh, you know, it's, it's my money. Uh, you know, the break even is X, blah, blah, blah. But they weren't really thinking about the downstream effect of a lower social security benefit for a surviving spouse, which, which is important if you're, you know, right, if you're, if, you, if especially if you have no other resources. Well, and it's important for that spouse who has the higher earnings because they're going to continue to collect that for the rest of their life. For the rest of their life, right. So, and yeah, and I, I know sometimes people say, oh, you know, waiting one year doesn't really you know, change my benefit all that much. And and that may be true, right? That maybe it's a nominal amount that it increases for you, but it's not a not, it's not, but it, it could make a big difference for the surviving spouse. 
So I, I think people need to really, you know, just not think about themselves when they're um, uh, when they're claiming Social Security. Yes, and I I've probably shared this with you before, but those are the hardest client cases I've had. About three of them. Well, actually, they didn't hire hire us because the husband, the higher earner, um, older, you know, was just bound and determined to start collecting at sixty two. Yeah. And it was the wife who reaches out about information on social security. And that's really hard to, yeah. to work with. A, well, you can't work with a couple like that. Yeah. Uh, so, but, yeah. So I was going to tell a couple of myths, I think, right. That it's really important that people understand that if they do claim social security before full retirement age, that there will be a benefit reduction, um, but it's not lost forever. Right. There's just some myth at times that like you lose it forever and that's not quite true. And then there's this um, notion of whether Social Security will be taxed after full retirement age. And, you know, of course, the answer is yes, but it's still a from an after tax perspective, not a a pretty good deal. Right. Because it's uh, only up to 85 percent of benefits at the worst case. So you're still getting 15 percent tax free. So that's a good thing. Right. Yeah. And you can do things to manage that, too. Some some people can. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that notion of do-overs, right, where, you know, after FRA, well, for instance, we know that you can only, right, file uh, with and then halt it within year one, right? Yes. Um, but after FRA, you can, like, halt it again, right? You can, and, yes. And, and people get so confused about that because they say, well, I thought the file and suspend is gone. Well, that is, but this is called voluntary suspension. Right. And it's simply stopping the benefit so that it starts to grow again. And so many people and financial professionals may not know about that. Yeah. And, and this was a surprise to me, Martha. I, I, um, I just wrote a story about that voluntary suspension and wasn't quite sure if you had to tell Social Security to turn it on at age 70 or, or not. And, uh, and I learned that they will automatically turn it back on at age 70. I would still check, though. I would still check. I wouldn't want to leave it to chance because no. <laughs> I, I thought, hmm, that's interesting. But yeah, that's good to know. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah. Well, then, so we're talking about financial professionals who are helping their workers plan. Do you think there's specific areas or topics that they routinely fail to educate themselves on? And um, how can they, these are the financial professionals, how can they be better prepared to help their clients retire. And I think you've talked about some of these. Yeah, I, I'd say, you know, if you think about the things that can cause big problems, you know, a, a lot have to do with IRA rules. And I think, you know, the degree to which people can um, avoid mistakes, get better educated around IRA distribution rules, I think would be helpful. I think becoming educated about these products that are out there to be available. And, you know, I, I, um, one of the things I do is I serve as the editor of the Retirement Management Journal, which is published by the Investments and Wealth Institute. And we just published this study about the use of um, registered index linked annuities, RILAs, and how you can improve uh, outcomes. And, you know, there are some risks that you can't control, but there are some risks that you can control and some levers that you can move in order to improve outcomes. And so it's really important that people, you know, get a sense of how these tools can help improve their clients' outcomes. Um, one, of, one of the things that I, I think would be important, um, 
way back when it must, I forget what the exact year, but David Blanchett, who was then working with Morningstar talked about advisor gamma, right? What are the things that you can be doing to improve your clients' outcomes? Um, becoming better equipped to create tax efficient withdrawal systems, really important, right? Because, you know, it's not what you write, not what you earn, it's what you keep. And it's really even more important when your resources are limited in retirement. So learning how to become, how to create tax efficient withdrawals, I think is extremely, uh, extremely important. And I think also understanding when to do things. So uh, there's a window of opportunity to do Roth conversions right before, say, yeah. age 72. And that for that to happen is to understand what someone's tax bracket is and how to maybe manage the uh, conversions so that you're not tripping uh, it, someone into a higher tax bracket, or if, or if you are tripping them into a higher tax bracket, you understand the consequences, right? Consequences such as uh, triggering Medicare Part B income-related monthly adjustment amounts, sure, uh, right? I mean, I wouldn't I'd say avoid it at all costs, but if you're going to do it, know that that's a downstream effect of a Roth conversion is maybe pushing someone into a, a higher bracket, for instance. Or if they're not yet uh, on Medicare, they're on a, um, a marketplace healthcare uh, maybe triggering a loss of their advanced premium tax credit when you do a Roth conversion, right? So there's, right, there's all these, like, it's the yeah. pulling of the yarn off a sweater, you know, it's sort of yeah. you know, just, just being very thoughtful about this because the mistakes that you make will matter. Yes. How do, <laughs> how do our listeners, our pre-retirees find the financial advisor that can do all this? <laughs> It's not, a, I mean, do you interview? Do you stick with yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think it starts with interviewing. It also starts with you getting some baseline knowledge, right? So I always think that financial planners are so different depending on who you talk to, right? Someone who's regulated by the insurance industry will be different from someone who's regulated by FINRA, who may be regulated differently from, from, from someone who's regulated by the SEC. Yeah. Right? right. And so what that means to me is what you get is a function of who you talk to. So if you're talking to an insurance agent, maybe it's an insurance-based solution. And if you're talking to a, uh, uh, someone who's regulated by Finder, maybe it's a, um, a packaged product solution. And maybe if you're talking to an IRA, it might be a little bit more customized. So, and what happens is there, there are no best practices across the, right, the suite here. Yeah. It's really a, right? It's a function of you know, who regulates them, what their business model is, uh, what their training and education has been, Right, what their biases are. Yeah. So it really pays before you even go start to interview someone. I think it would pay for you to learn more about who you're talking to before you even talk to someone. It gets again. It gets down to that bit of information of education you need to have yourself. Right, and this is important, right? I mean, I'm probably spending more time planning my next vacation. That right, like I'm joking, right? But more people spend time, more time spending, you know, figuring out their vacation and what hotels they're going to stay in and what roads they're going to take or what planes they're going to fly than they are about being serious about who they would talk to to manage their most important, you know, asset, their money. And I think, you know, for me, it always comes down to who's the advisor who has the most tools available to them to help you accomplish your goals. So I, the example I always use, Martha, is this. You would never go to a doctor who could only prescribe half the, medic, the medicines, right, available in the PDR, right, the old physician's desk reference. But that's in essence what happens today. If you talk to an advisor who's not licensed to do X or who's not able to do Y, um, then you're not, you're not talking to someone who has the entire 
physician's desk reference at their fingertips. Yes, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Really good analogy. Yeah. So it may mean doing a little bit of legwork and a lot of interviewing. And to understand that, you know, a a lot of times what someone will tell you in an interview will certainly sound good, right? I mean, obviously, many people have been in business for 10 years, 20 years decades, right? And they've got it down to a science. They, they have their practice down to a science. Yeah. You know, you just have to make sure that it, what they're doing is right for you. I, you don't want to be, um, what's that old saying about like to a hammer, everything's a nail, right? You don't want to be, you know, walking in, you know, and all someone has is a hammer and thinks you're a nail. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, I, I want to cheer up our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Let's, we can cheer up your, some of your listeners. Most people are satisfied in retirement. Does that help? Like, that helps. Thank you. Yes. No, yeah. I, I've read that, that happiness increases as, as we age. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you have more time? I do. Yeah. I could, I could talk all day about this, you know? Oh, okay. Well, I could too. Cause if you don't mind, I'll keep asking questions. <laughs> um, if someone is planning to retire in five years and only, uh, remembers one or two things from our talk today, what would you like them to remember? Uh, so five years is a good time to sort of narrow in on whether you have the resources to fund what you think your expected retirement lifestyle will be. Because at that point, you know, time is short. So one of the things that's important about that five years is you're not going to save or invest your way out of this. Yeah. <laughs> So you're in the home stretch. There are a couple of things that you could do that might be uh, make a meaningful impact. One would be to consider working longer if you haven't saved enough. But I would also caution you that while that's a good solution, it only works for maybe half of the people. So the employee benefit, I'm sorry if I'm depressing you again. No, no. <laughs> Nope. This is what we need. We all need to hear this. Yeah. So the Employee Benefit Research Institute has said, um, of the folks who want to keep working longer, only half are able to do so. That's a good point. Because of a healthcare shock, right. a layoff, the downsizing, you know, who knows, right? There's an unexpected <laughs> event in your future where you only have a 50% chance of being able to do what you thought you were going to do. Yeah. So in that five-year runway, getting a good handle on what your expenses will be, how your sources of income are lining up. Do you need to save more? Do you need to uh, reduce your expenses? Do you need to work longer? Downsize. You need to downsize. And if you're doing this on your own, I mean, again, if all you did was to go see a financial advisor as a sounding board, maybe an hourly planner to say, here's what I'm thinking. Can you give me, look over my shoulder and let me know if I'm directionally right here. That would be helpful. But right. more importantly is to you know actually start crunching the numbers and be serious about uh, things. And I would caution, there's a, um, and it becomes smart about, so there's, <laughs> we can talk about all that. So one of the things that's really important for people to understand is like, uh, we talked about the planning horizon being really difficult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes software will say, oh, we'll give you an age 85 or age 90 planning horizon as you're thinking about this. If you go online to any, you know, online retirement planning software or, you know, a broker dealer software program is to understand that the the planning horizon uh, isn't a probability. 
And, uh, and for, and especially if you're a married couple, the odds of like one person in a couple living to age 90 or, or the possibility of two people in a couple living to age 85, right. Is to start understanding that while it's important to target how many years of retirement you'll have, it's also important to look at the probabilities of someone living longer and what that means. So I'd say for me, the important thing is building not just a plan, but doing scenario planning and what if situations. For those different life expectancies. For different life expectancies, for different um, uh, expense, you know, sort of scenarios, right? I'm going to, you know, spend a lot early in in life and save a little bit for later in life. Um, It's not a, you know, one of the analogies that people make is no one ever, no pilot ever leaves LaGuardia, right? Heading for LAX without a flight plan but no pilot ever gets to LAX without making adjustments along the way, right? No one just follows that plan exactly according to plan. So I think you have to think like an airline pilot and say, I've got my plan, but I know that I'm going to be making adjustments along the way. And it may mean, you know, again, right? Life throws us lots of curveballs. It, it may mean, uh, you know, you become, your children move back in with you when you didn't expect that to happen or someone becomes chronically ill or, you know, you're, um, you get divorced, right? I mean, it's just. Right. That's, the flight plan is an excellent analogy. That's <laughs> Right. I just read, you probably read this, right? There was a, a passenger on a Cessna airplane. Yes. Right. The pilot passes the out. <laughs> now the passenger has to take over as the pilot. <laughs> but the, the traffic controller was a was a teacher, was a educated pilot. Right, right. And he landed the plane. <laughs> he landed it in an excellent way, too. I, that was so fun to read yesterday. Right. So <laughs> could you imagine that happening to you? Right. I mean, imagine that's your retirement plan and you have this yeah. plan in place and all of a sudden your your pilot <laughs> is, <laughs> is gone. <laughs> that's, you know, we're getting depressed again. <laughs> I don't want you to get depressed. I, no. I don't. Okay. Well, let's... what I would want to do though is inspire people to become. I like to describe it this way, Martha. People ought to become students of the subject. I mean, obviously, I I am. I eat, breathe, sleep all things retirement. I I wake up reading about it. You I do. go to bed reading about it. Um, I read research reports, you know, and whatnot. Maybe you don't have to go to that that degree, but I I think you have to become like. One, I watch one of my sons with fantasy football, right? People who do fantasy football, for the most part, are fanatics, right? They know who's injured. They know who's been traded. They know who's been benched. They know who's having, right? Right. I think you have to sort of approach retirement with that same sort of fanatical, you know, enthusiasm that a fantasy football player has, right? Do a deep dive. Become smart about it, right? Yes, because the the rewards of that are literally going to pay off. Oh, right. And not only that, I always think, you know, there are some mistakes out there that are um, uh, irrevocable, right? Yeah. yeah. And you want to avoid those. <laughs> well, like like Medicare, the penalties like Medicare. for not signing up for Medicare when you're supposed to are severe, right. lifelong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So imagine not signing up for Medicare Part B when you should have. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned Medicare. A lot of people, you know, right? This is, to me, this is one of the cruelest things that we do to older Americans. We make them, you know, choose a new plan every year. 
right? <laughs> and most people just check the box and say, keep the same plan that they had the year before, not knowing that the formularies change and the doctor's but, network. But it's changed. good that we can change because our health is going to change. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it's marvelous that we can change. I think it's yeah. also a you know, shame that, you know, as our cognitive abilities are declining <laughs> and our confidence in our decision-making rises, that we're asking older Americans to make decisions, you know, that may be wrong for them. But the point is, I think, there's one of those decisions that could have really costly right, um, effects if you choose the wrong plan, right? Or you sign up for uh, a Medigap policy or you, you, you terminate your Medicare Advantage plan and you sign up for a Medigap, but you get to turn down and now you're like without insurance, right? <laughs> so there's just lots of, you know, lots of potholes waiting for people out there in retirement. There are. But imagine if you were knowledgeable about such things, right? You would avoid those potholes. Or at least know where to go to get that knowledge. Right. You know, have a resource for it. And I think that's where, you know, where you come in, right? I mean, offering specialized knowledge in social security to an advisor, right? I mean, if, if you asked me where to go, I'd say, if you have questions about social security, you should go talk to someone, right? Who has an RSSA. Right? Yeah. Thank um, you, Bob. <laughs> well, no, you're welcome. But it's true. I mean, you, you want to talk to an expert. I mean, you right, if you had gastrointestinal problems, you wouldn't go to a cardiologist per se, right? Maybe you would go to a gastroenterologist. <laughs> and the same is true with social security. You should go to a social security expert. Yeah, the trick is to get getting that that information out there. Um, this next question is is a little different. Every once in a while there's a world event or several events that affect all our lives, regardless of how far away it is. So regarding the war in Ukraine, do you see this having an effect on retirees as far as how much it impacts investing, among other things? Is there a financial impact that is or will continue to affect us from that? Yeah, I mean, I I think, I mean, we're living in a unique time in some respects, right? We've got a war going on. We've got uh, COVID still present. We've got supply chain issues. We've got a a, uh, a rising inflation that we haven't seen in 40 years. We've got a Federal Reserve that's gone from being dovish to hawkish. And, uh, and we're while watching a lot of market volatility and, uh, and stocks and bonds declining in ways that we haven't seen in a very long time. And what I would say is, I actually just wrote a story about this for MarketWatch. Um, for folks who, especially for retirees who had a plan in place, they're not actually worried about what's going on in the world right now because their plan accommodated these tail, these events, maybe not these events specifically, but they, they had a plan in place that accommodated, you know, things that would be adverse to their portfolio. They, they had, I like to describe it as risk capacity. How much money can you afford to lose without it affecting your standard of living? So they had risk capacity built into their portfolio. Um, For folks who didn't have a plan, my goodness, this is the time to like, uh, you know, right. Get to the starting line. (laughs) Yeah, to, to be aware of that. I mean, this is must be hitting people hard. Some, I yeah, especially you know the thing is, it reminded me. It reminds me a little bit of the year two thousand when um, I would talk to people who had you know that the run up in the bull market had just sort of ended in in like June January of two thousand or so, and people were retiring because they were like, oh, I met my accumulation goal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I've got enough money now to live the life I thought. And then the market crashed for the next two years. And many of them um, didn't have risk capacity in their portfolios. So they had to go back to work. 
because they their portfolio now was down by X percent and it wasn't able to support their standard of living. You know, I think reaching the mountaintop is not necessarily the goal. It's it's like the mountaintop plus. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I think having a plan in place that accommodates worst case scenarios like we're experiencing today is yeah. what you need to be thinking about as you build your uh, build your plan. And I think the good news is for retirees, maybe the impact isn't as great if they built a nice plan. For my children who are in their 20s, well, um, they've got 40 years of investing in front of them and, and then some. So, you know, yeah. I think this will be hard, but it's not going to be, it's not going to affect their quality of life, right? Because they they're still right. in their early years. Yeah. It's those people who are sort of on retirement's doorstep, I think, right? They're in that maybe age 50 to 65, 67 range where this is really, you know, giving them a, a chance to look at their portfolio, their savings rate. Um, you know, one of the things you asked me about, like, what can people do if they're within five years is to, if they, if they haven't gone through the process of crunching the numbers to see if their portfolio is big enough, is to use some heuristics. Um, Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, others have done, created these charts that say, oh, by the time you reach 65, you, you should have 10 times your salary set aside in your 401k or IRA or 12 times or whatever the number is. Just yeah. do a check-in to see what's the size of my portfolio relative to my salary. And if it's you know within a couple points, great. If it's not, man, you've got, you've got some things to start. You've got some work to do. Yeah. How about um, the philosophical part to retirement? How can people change their mindset or philosophical approach towards retirement to ensure that it's the best time of their life as opposed to a letdown? Yeah. So I read this study, uh, Martha, it sort of said um, that we're almost hardwired. I'll say this with a grain of salt, take, right, take it with a grain of salt, that if you're a happy person, um, you're going yeah. to be happy in retirement. Right? And if you're kind of an unhappy person, well, that's your fate in retirement. Right? Yes, there's not much. Well, but planning, I guess it all just comes back to the plan. Right. So I, I would say like, okay, so you're unhappy. How do you get, how do you get happy? How do you sort of like maybe move the needle so that your Let's retirement say content, is content right. at least. Correct. Right. And so I, I think there's a couple of things. There's a, a JP Morgan just published a guide to retirement. And it talks about uh, going into retirement with a purpose. We talked about that already, right? Making yeah. sure that you're retiring to something. It talked about having um, social circles in place. Yeah. Right? So if you're like, you know, if you haven't built a network of friends, either through, you know, churches and synagogues and civic organizations or whatnot, you better start doing that now before you retire. Um, you know, go down to the senior center or join the local, you know, sailing club or whatever it is. Do get out of your house. Right. And yeah. this is more problematic for men than it is for women, Martha. I'm sure you know this to be true, right? My wife has a million friends and I sometimes think that I'm a loner, right? Like I'm always introduced as, you know, Amy's right? Amy's husband, not Bob, right? Because I don't know any of her friends. Anyway, she has a huge circle. I won't, I don't worry about her in the least, you know, in her retirement, yeah. because she'll have this network. Men, on the other hand, you know, they tend to collapse their social networks as they get older, and at great cost, perhaps, right? They yeah. need to start expanding it and thinking about how do I create a community, so that I have different things to do with different people. And I think that would be uh, helpful. Those two things would go a long way toward making. I mean, the, the other thing, too, I think is this. So there was another study done, Boston College Center for Retirement Research, and they talked about what drives satisfaction in retirement. 
And the, the three things I joke, um, one was retiring on your own terms, right? Not getting laid off. Um, one was being in good health. And I think there's something that, you know, people really need to think about as they age is how do I stay healthy? Do I, you know, should I start riding a bike or playing pickleball or, you know, lifting weights or paddleboarding or whatever it is, right? You can't disregard your health as you get older. Oh, and finding that, um, that exercise that you enjoy. So you keep doing it. Right. And then the third thing that drove satisfaction, um, though I joke sometimes that I don't believe it was being married. And uh, <laughs> that depends. That, yeah, that, I think it depends. But those are the three factors, right? Retiring yeah. on new terms, being yeah. in health and being married. And I think there's yeah. a lot of truth to that is, you know, those three factors, you know, are important. And then having a purpose and then civic engagement or social outlets will be really important to folks. Yeah. So you can go from being unhappy to, to happy. Yes, I believe so, too. <laughs> well, it's so fun to talk to you, Bob, but um, wow, we're really coming up on an hour here. Uh, so lastly, where can people go to learn more about you and gain access to your extensive collection of writings? You have so many things going on. What's yeah. the best place to? I, I'd say start with uh, retirementdaily.net. That's the site I run for the street. Um, that's a place where they'll find the videos that you and I have done that are in the our Retirement Daily Learning Center. Um, that website features my work as well as um, articles written by fi- other financial advisors, um, writing about a vast array of topics from Social Security to Medicare to uh, IRAs to estate planning to income taxes to insurance, etc. Uh, we also have a section where we deal, we call it next gen money, where we're trying to write articles that would be of interest to young adults who are trying to get their, you know, their start at, in their careers and learning about saving for retirement or saving for a house or buying a house or whatever. And so, I'm gonna, so, I'm gonna so that's there my, too. my son there. Yeah, I think we're, it's, it's great because we're working with young financial planners who are part of the Financial Planning Association's Next Gen community. Oh, and these wonderful. are all advisors who are in their 30s and 40s and oh, writing. Yeah, it's been great. And, uh, and that's a good place to start your, you know, your search for things that I'm writing. And then if, if you want, you can search me at MarketWatch or, uh, or USA Today. So, Okay. Well, That's it for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Please tune in every Wednesday for new episodes. Our expert guests share a wide variety of knowledge on retirement-related topics. See you next week.